Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cottrell, with more than 10 years of NCAA Division I, Division II men's basketball coaching experience. The Bonafide Basketball Podcast is the only podcast with weekly episodes devoted entirely to NCAA Division II men's basketball teams, players, and coaches. Be sure to like, subscribe, and download the Bonafide Basketball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Today's guest I am really excited about. He is the head coach of one of the hottest teams in the country, number five in the nation, Washburn Ichabods. Coach Brett Ballard was nice enough to join me over the holiday break and discuss their rise to number five in the country. It is my pleasure to welcome today's guest, Brett Ballard, head coach at Washburn University, to the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. Coach, you guys are off to a 6-0 start in the MIAA, most recently number five in the country. You've got a huge week coming up for your program. I know how valuable your time is. I know we're going through a pandemic. I know things are crazy. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I appreciate your time. Oh, Chris, I appreciate you having me on, man. Um, you know, been been following what you've been doing here the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, it's awesome for us, you know, at the Division II level to, to, to have guys that are passionate about it like you are. And um, as you know, you know, a ton of great coaches at this level and um, some great players. It's, it's, it's a high level of basketball that, you know, not, not necessarily everybody knows about, but a great opportunity for a lot of young men and, and – uh, so I appreciate, you know, you have me on and I appreciate your coverage. Well, it's my pleasure. I, I'm enjoying doing it. And I, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this interview when, when I emailed you and I've watched you guys. I've really been looking forward to having you on. I'm glad we were able to connect and do this right now during kind of the winter, uh, the winter break. So let, let's dive right in. Today is December 30th. Where is Washburn basketball right now? Like what is the state of your program, Coach? How are your players doing physically, mentally, and otherwise? Like, what's going on in your program? Yeah, you know, Chris, that's a great question. I, I really, really like my team. I, I like my guys a lot. And, um, you know, that's that's I like them on the court, um, and, and I like them off the court. I think that, um, you know, we've been fortunate, you know, since I've been here, I've just been, been able to be around some great, young men and you know we get paid as coaches obviously to win basketball games and I know that's part of it but uh man I just have have had some great people in our program that represent our program well on and off the court so and and this team's no different these guys have been um a lot of fun to be around um and you know it's obviously been a been a you know interesting and a dynamic year with with everything going on with the pandemic and um they have handled it about as well as you could you could possibly ask them to handle something like this. Uh, we we've been pretty fortunate, Chris, and I think that probably has something to do with, with the start we've had. But you know we've had uh, we, we we've been able to avoid you know major shutdowns, and um, so we've been able to have a lot of days where we've got get come in and get our work in. But you know I know it's challenging on these guys this year just because of the unknowns and and not knowing you know could we get shut down for 10 days or two weeks at any point in time and they've been um they've been good about just coming in every day and focusing so you know overall obviously it helps when you're winning and and, and we've been fortunate enough to do that so far but 
we've gotten off to a good start to the season and, and these guys have handled, um, you know, everything that's been going on uh, really, really well. Yeah. And, and, and coach speak to how difficult it is. I mean, right now you guys are six and zero, and, and like you said, winning kind of solves everything. It takes care of itself, you know, in and out of the locker room at times, but, but how challenging is it for you still? And I'm going off script here. How challenging is it for you still as the leader of that program? Like you don't have answers. It, it, there are some things you just can't answer. Are you finding that challenging while experiencing the success? Yeah, no question. I, I think as a coach, we love to control things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's part of part of what makes you know one, one of the reasons I like to coach and and what makes you know certain guys good coach. They, they're able to control a lot of different aspects of their program as much as possible, and you dictate um, the outcomes and the results based off of you know, your preparation and your, and, and your daily control on, on, on what happens within, you know, the day, daily operations of your program. And so um, this one's, th- th- this has obviously um, been um, dynamic and it's been challenging just from a standpoint of, you know, so much of this is out of our control. And I've heard a couple coaches say that, and I think it's been good for me to hear, you know, some of this you just can't control. And so I think it's been a balancing act of knowing that, uh, knowing that, that there's just certain things that are going to happen that, that that are outside of our, our our window that we can we can control and that we can dictate what the what the outcome is going to be, but also still doing what you can to put your guys in a situation to be successful. And uh, just that's a balancing act. I don't know if anybody has the exact recipe, the, the, the right answers on on how much or how little you do certain things. But um, again, I've just, I've been fortunate. My staff's been great and our players have been receptive to what we've been trying to do. Yeah. And, and you're, as you're talking about a balancing act coach, I want to go to something that I thought was, was really cool. And one of the aspects that I miss most about college coaching is that family atmosphere you can create. You've talked so far, you know, about uh, great people on and off the court. I saw a, a, a picture on Twitter I think maybe a week before Christmas. And, and I think you had your kids there doing like a gift exchange with the players, you know, like that stuff, the family atmosphere you can create at the college level, especially division two, where there's not, not quite as many, uh, you know, factors pushing and pulling, you know, talk about your culture at Washburn, what you've done in your first three years, going into year four culture wise, like how your family fits into that, the family atmosphere you have. I just, I, I miss that. And I'm always interested to hear how coaches are balancing, um, you know, you know, their culture within their program and within their family. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, a lot of times coaches get probably too much credit uh, for, you know, the, the, the quote unquote culture of a program. I think so much of that has to do with what type of young man do you recruit into your program? And so, you know, for me, I, I'm starting year four. So my first couple of years, 80% of our culture were guys that were here before I was here. And I, I, I got so much respect for the guys that I inherited because from day one, they bought into what we were trying to get done here. And change is hard, man. It's, it's hard on all, any of us. And, and as we're going through a lot of change in 2020, it's hard on all of us. Um, but it's hard on young people, you know, and, and regardless of how they felt about the previous coach and he was, he was a great coach and, and here a long time, um, you know, new coach comes in. It's, it's just a different philosophy, different mentality on certain things. Some, some of it was the same, but a lot of it's a little bit different. And, um, and so they, they bought in from day one. And then, you know, from there, 
Um, you know, we've tried to recruit the right type of people into our program. And then again, I think that that dictates your culture um, as much as anything else. Now, you know, we once we get them here, we obviously work daily on influencing them um, to a pattern of behavior that 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 is conducive to us having success on and off the court. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot as a staff, like culture is is something that that happens every day. And, you know, I think sometimes we look at culture as being established in practice or in games. And, and that's the, 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 that's obviously a very influential time. But, you know, the culture is how do you communicate to your guys when they come by the office? How, how, how are you communicating to them? What's your interactions with them in the weight room? What, what's your interactions with them about their academics? Are you checking on them? beyond basketball? Uh, how do they see you interact with your facilities people? Uh, are you respectful to, to the people that clean your gym and, and, and things like that? And so, you know, as a staff, we try to set the example of how, you know, we want to treat people, um, the work ethic that we want to have. And, um, and again, the, the family type atmosphere that we're trying to create. And then what you hope is, um, you know, your players reciprocate that. But a lot of that work is already done before they got here because they came from great families. And like I said, we've just been able to have great people in our program that have, have you know, kind of brought that have already bought into the culture that we've had. Um, and we haven't had to we haven't had to manipulate as much as, as maybe sometimes you have to. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about your team. And, and we're going to get there because I think you have a really nice group of players right now and you're, you're a fun team to watch, but before we can get to today, we got to backtrack a little bit because you have, you have quite a lineage coach. You had the opportunity to play for and to work, you know, under hall of fame coaches, uh, Roy Williams and Bill self, and also with a hall of fame player, uh, Danny Manning. Talk to us. And you've already been a head coach. You've, You've had a lot of experience, but, what have you taken from each of those coaches and made your own inside of your own personality? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been lucky. And I think I'd even go back, Chris, to, to, you know, growing up, my, my father was a coach. And um, so I grew up around the game. Um, and I think it started for me with just how my parents raised my, myself and my sister that I never, I never heard them uh, say a bad word about a teacher that we had. And uh, I, ne- I never heard him say that. Ba- and my dad was a teacher, but I never heard them once say a negative thing about any teacher I ever had or any coach that I ever had growing up. Well, I'm, a, so, I'm, I'm a teacher and a coach, and I appreciate that. I'm taking that. I'm taking that with me. So. Well, <laughs> I, I, I do think in our society, because I, I think it's I think I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem that, you know, we've got uh, parents that badmouth teachers in front of their kids or coaches in front of their kids. And and. And listen, I get it if it's abusive or, you know, something like that. I, I get, you know, me have you may have concerns. But my, my thing growing up, I thought I had the most unbelievable youth coaches ever. Like I, I can remember them and I thought, man, you know, I, I learned from them. And, and I did. I had good coaches. But I think a lot of that was just my parents instilled in me. Whatever coach you have in that season, learn from them, uh, grow from them and do whatever they ask you to do to the best of your ability. And so I think that. And Haley, that gave me an, an opportunity because I, I had that mindset to learn from them and get better. And so my youth coaches were great. My high school coach was big time. I had a, Phil Anderson, my high school coach, was one of the best coaches in the state of Kansas. And he was an old school type coach as far as 
man, he, he, he made us work and, and he challenged us every day, but it, it made me a better player and a better person. So, you know, and then I had a good coach at the junior college level too. But, but once I got to Kansas, I think I was prepared to obviously coach Williams, a hall of fame coach, but I think I was prepared to uh, play for him because I, I, I had such good um, mentors before I got there. Um, you know, as far as coach Williams goes, I was a walk on initially. Um, I got, I got a scholarship, ended up getting a scholarship both years. I was at Kansas, but you know, I came as a walk on, but to, for, the way coach treated me was like, I was a McDonald's all American. Um, you know, just how he coached me, how he interacted with me. Um, his expect, expectations of me were the same as guys like Kirk Heinrich and Nick Collison and Drew Gooden and some of the best guys that played in the NBA. I mean, just the way he, he, he coached me and treated me. I felt like, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I was a, I was a five-star recruit and that stuck with me, you know, and, and how he treated guy one through 15 in the program. Um, that, that always stuck with me. Co coach um, was so good about getting everybody to buy into what was best for the team. And, you know, when you coach at places like Kansas and Carolina, a lot of people say, well, that, you know, it'd be easy to coach there because you're going to have the most talent, but the, the, the talent, you get all these guys that, you know, individually are good players, uh, but they all have, you know, their own agendas when they come to a place like that. And you're trying to get in the buy into what's best for the team. That's not that's that's really hard to do. And just to see how he did that every day, how he cultivated the culture every day and got guys to play for each other, um, you know, has helped me, I think, I think as a coach. And, um, you know, obviously coach is still doing a hell of a job and, and um, you know, one of the best to ever do it. Um, and then I got lucky, Chris. So, you know, I, I get done playing at Kansas and uh, Coach Williams left a year after my senior year and Coach Self comes in and I uh, I went in and, and asked if I could volunteer on the staff basically because he didn't really have a paid spot. And, and Coach was, um, you know, gracious enough to let me kind of just volunteer my first basically year, year and a half. And then I got on as a video guy um, and, then, and then director of ops. But, you know, being around Coach Self, um, yeah, there's it's hard to you know same with coach Williams hard to just tell you in a couple sentences what I learned from him but um one how coach treated people uh you know he was just so good to whether it was the media um the facility staff the administration the fans his players his assistant coaches I mean just in my, my family when my family the, the way he treated people you know it showed me you can be a, an elite coach but also treat people uh the right way and I thought that was you know, beneficial um, coaches uh, just incredible about um, he, he's got great work ethic, but then how he manipulates and, and manipulates probably a bad word, but how, how he motivates um, players individually different ways. He just had a knack for when to push, when to prod, when to pull, when to, when to get on them, when to challenge them, when to build them up. And uh, you know, the psychology of coaching, uh, I don't know if there's a better guy in the business than Bill Self. Um, obviously gets his play, teams to play hard and tough and unselfish and they run good stuff and the X's and O's are important, but he recruits good talent. And then he finds a way to maximize individual guys abilities uh, better than, you know, about anybody in the world. So, uh, you know, I, I think that probably more than anything stuck out to me about, you know, about, about being around coach self every day. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I could listen to you talk about those two coaches all, all afternoon, you know, if, uh, if we didn't have to continue going and getting towards what you're doing at Washburn, but what an incredible experience for you to have uh, with those two. Do you still have relationships with them now? Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't talk to coach Williams as much, you know, 
uh, every once in a while, we, we, it's funny, we exchange letters and then, and then every once in a while I text. Uh, when you've been doing as long as Coach Williams, he's got a lot of former players to uh, to have relationships with. So, so, you know, we still, he, you know, when I was at Wake Forest, especially, you know, we'd see him a couple times a year and he's still great to me. And and it's always good when I, when I am able to, to communicate with him. Uh, you know, Coach Self, more so uh, because he's 20 minutes down the road, I, I, I see him more often. Um you know, a lot of a lot of his players work my camps in the summertime, so I have interaction with him. And so I probably, I, you know, I, I talk to coach more often and um, he's been great. You know, he's helped me over here at Washburn. Uh, he's been beneficial to me over here and helping me do some things to get things going. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Jayhawk, so I always you know, love, like watching them play. I try to catch them on TV as much as I can. And, you know, what Coach Self's done with that program over the last, you know, 15-plus years has been unbelievable. So, love watching his teams play and, and cheering them on. Yeah, and, and I have to ask, like, bucket list for me is Allen Fieldhouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I imagine in my mind's eye, you know, I've gone to Yankee Stadium a, a bunch of times. And what you see on TV doesn't do justice, that feeling when you first walk into Yankee Stadium. I got to imagine it's kind of the same experience at Allen Fieldhouse. Like what you're seeing on TV cannot possibly match what it feels like to be there in person. Yeah, you know, Chris, I'm, I, I will admit I'm, I'm very uh, biased because I grew, up a can- <laughs> I grew up a Kansas kid. I was a Jayhawk fan since I was, you know, two years old. So I, I, I'm looking, you know, through rose-colored glasses here uh, on this subject. But, um, you know, being – I've been lucky, you know, at Kansas, we played at UCLA, we played at Michigan State, we played at Texas, obviously Iowa State, you know, all the places in Big 12. And then when I was at Wake Forest, you know, got to play at Duke, got to play at Carolina, Syracuse, Notre Dame, you know, wherever. So Louisville, I've been to the, the only arena that I, college arena that I would say that I haven't been to that, that you know, maybe you could equate would be Indiana. Never, never got a chance to, to play in that building, but pretty much every other, you know, big college venue, um, I've been able to, to be there as a as a coach or a player and i'm just telling you man i don't think anything compares to allen Fieldhouse. it's um just it's an old gym everybody sits right on top of you um 16 fans that the sunlight coming in through the windows the new video board and sound system the video people do an incredible job to kind of cultivate the the atmosphere even more than, than it used to be so and, and if you get there if you can get there at all but if you can get there on a big game man uh I would encourage you to do that because I think it'll be a pretty cool experience for you. Um, I was fortunate, lucky to get to play there and coach there, and and uh, it's the best. I, I, I've been to some other places, and no offense to Duke or North Carolina, those places are good. And and I know Duke gets a lot of, of the attention, you know, and partly because the camera crazies are on TV all the time with the way their cameras are set up. <laughs> and Duke is good. Don't get me wrong; it's 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 fine, but it's no Allen Fieldhouse. And in, in my in my humble opinion. Yeah, I've I, I, I've been to Duke. I was fortunate enough to go to Duke, Carolina, you know, I, I when Tyler Hansborough was still playing. And when I was coaching at High Point, we played at Carolina, Chapel Hill. So I've been able to go, you know, I, I thought the best arena that we ever got to go to was Florida when they had the old arena and everybody was right yeah. on top of you. Yep. I really liked the University of Florida. But uh, Allen Fieldhouse, man, just, you know, like the camera's bouncing. You know, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, the, awesome. you know, the, the feeling, you know, where you can't hear the you can't hear Jay Billis. Like, that's a feeling you want to try and experience. So, For so, sure. so, so good stuff, coach. You've obviously, 
you've obviously, you know, uh, paid your dues to get to where you're at right now with, as the head coach at Washburn. And I want to talk about, you know, where we're at today. You're in year four. You had to transition back to Division Two. You were an NAI head coach, Division One assistant. You're coming back as a head coach to Division Two. You know, two-part question. What was the transition like, you know, three years ago, now four, um, when you became the head coach? And how has your philosophy evolved going into this year? You know, I think initially when I left Kansas to go to, to Baker, to an NAI school, a lot of people thought I was crazy, including, you know, Coach Self and my wife and my, my own parents. So <laughs> I uh, – and, and I, I, I get it, you know. Um, you leave, you leave, you know, one of the best programs in the country to go – to a small NAI down the road uh, from Lawrence, but um, that ended up being probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. One, because I got to coach some incredible young men that, that, that to this day, I still love those guys. Um, but I think, you know, it just allowed me to run my own program and, you know, recruit and, and, and get experience coaching in real games. And, um, you know, I think it also showed me that it's okay to bet on yourself and I, I think that would be one if I sometimes I give advice to younger coaches sometimes you gotta you gotta bet on yourself and every situation is different and and you know um, you gotta evaluate evaluate whatever job you're trying to take for what it really is but at some point in life and you gotta you gotta be willing to take some chances and bet on yourself and that ended up being a great situation for me. I hadn't really planned on leaving. And then, and then Coach Manning got the Tulsa job. I was there for, you know, two years with Coach Manning and Wake Forest. And those were both great, really great experience. Coach Manning was tremendous to work for, and I learned a ton from him. Um, when Washburn opened up, it was a no-brainer. I had grown up in Kansas. I knew about Washburn. I knew, I knew it was a great university. I knew the basketball tradition here. And then once I was able to interview for the job and see that the, the, the foundation here with the leadership and, and the facilities um, – you know, I was just hoping I could get the job and, and, and was, you know, excited and, and fortunate to get it. Um, to be honest with you, Chris, again, I go back. I, I was very, very fortunate. I, I inherited good kids and a good team. And that always makes things easier when you don't have to rebuild from ground up. And I, and I inherited guys that were good players, but also, man, from day one, they, they bought into what we were trying to get done. And we, we had, we had a few bumps along the way and, we had our moments. We butted heads a little bit because, you know, just just when when change happens, that that, that can be the case. But um, I, I, I was I was, you know, again, lucky to have good kids. And we had we had good teams out of the gate. And so when you when when you have that, you know, you have some success early, then that can validate what you're trying to do. It's challenging on coaches that and this happened to me a little bit. Baker, you know, my first year at Baker, we weren't we weren't very good. And so you're trying to get guys to buy into, you know, this culture and this philosophy and how you want them to play. And then, and then if you don't see immediate results, then, and, and this generation of kids, they love, they love immediate, immediate gratification. And when that doesn't happen, that can be hard and challenging. And, um, you know, I was, I've been lucky here at Washburn that we, we, again, we had success early on. Um, this league is incredible and it, it wasn't easy. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we got done, but um, that made the transition um, a lot easier for me. And then I had a great staff. We have great leadership here. Uh, this university, we got you know, our, our, our professors and the education our guys can get here is second to none. So all of that stuff in place, 
you know, there's, there's challenging days and there's, there's been some things that, you know, haven't, haven't gone as smooth as you want, but overall I've been, I've been very fortunate and, and blessed here. That's awesome. You've had, you've had a great run. You're 68 and 31 right now in your fourth season. No amount of, uh, no amount of experience or, you know, coaching gurus, or, uh, or or mentorship really could have prepared you for what we're going through right now. I think all coaches would acknowledge that. Have you been able to take this holiday break um, and, and look back, do some reevaluation, and do you feel like you're more prepared going into the second half of your season? Uh, I love that question, Chris. It's funny because um, I've struggled with that. I've struggled with um, you're not you're not the only I, coach that's saying that I've talked to numerous well, coaches and that is that is what like the the uh, the unknown how do you prepare your team for the unknown we're all used to our habits right our, our game day pregame walk through you know we're used to our preparation habits and and this is something that a lot of coaches are struggling with so you're not alone yeah, I yeah I can you you've seen it and, and I hear it talking to to other guys and I, and I would take that um, even down a little bit of a different path. Uh, for me, it's been even even before the pandemic. Probably the biggest thing I struggle with, Chris, in coaching is the balance that you try to find between being prepared and making sure your your work ethic and you're you're doing everything you can to allow your program to have success, but then also with my own family uh, being engaged and being a great husband and, and trying to be a great father to my kids and being present in both situations, because for me, you know, at times I have struggled with when you're at work and it's seven thirty, eight o'clock at night and you're trying to finish watching film and you know, your family's at home and your kids want to see you and you feel guilty and bad about that. But then when you get home, and it's 7.30 or 8, and, and you know that there's still recruiting calls that need to be made or film that could be watched or, or whatever it may be, you know, you can sometimes not be as present with your family as you should be because you're constantly worried about the next thing at work. And um, so you talked about the, the, the break. And, and so for me, you know, I, and, and it's interesting. I've read some books and, and just trying to educate myself better balances i'm trying to do a better job of um just being present in the moment and and, and balancing and and balance we all want this perfect balance and, and the thing i've learned is there's no there's no such thing as perfect balance and, and depending on the time of year for a coach your balance may be more skewed towards work than it is family and then certain times of the year it needs to be more skewed towards family than it is work and, and that just depends on what month of the, of the year you're in but the break was great for me. I think it was great for our players. I personally think Division One should mandate a one-week break um, to let those guys go home. Div you know, Division Two has mm -hmm. it. We have a mandatory one-week break, and I think it's incredible. I think that we all need it. You know, allows you to, to to mentally recharge, physically recharge, and be around your families. And I just, I took I took full advantage of it. Uh, you know, took three or four solid days off where I didn't do any work and was just engaged with the family. Then you kind of get back after it. You know, I, right after Christmas, kind of start getting back in the grind of watching some film and getting prepared a little bit. But it, it was I think it was good for me. And, and so far, based off the practices I've seen from our guys, I think it's been beneficial from them. For That's them. great. That's great. I mean, I think balance is so important, um, you know, as you did take it a step further, family and career. It's, it's never a perfect balance. Right. But there's an act that you have to. 
manipulate internally to make sure that, you know, in certain, certain months of the year, you're more balanced in one area than, than the other. So I, I a hundred percent agree with that. It's a great point for young coaches out there. You know, it's not going to be perfect and it's okay to feel that way. Just know that you've got a counterbalance in the future. Um, I think, I think it can be done. So, so six and oh coach and and the MIAA, I mean, the MIAA is, is ridiculously good. Um, You know, truth be told, I hadn't seen much division two basketball outside of the Southeast until this year. And I'm watching games out West now. I'm watching uh, MIAA games. I mean, you know, the quality of play I knew was really good, but your league is incredible. And, and you guys are number five in the country. So my question for you, because I don't, you, you started the season unranked. My question is, was there a moment, and, and I feel like a lot of coaches go through this, have this experience. Was there a moment maybe in practice or in, in a game where you just kind of caught yourself watching your team and, and, and said, wow, like we could be pretty good, like top 25, top 10 good. Did that happen at all in, in this first half of the season? You know, I think that probably goes back to last year, Chris. I, last year, we just we were such a new team. We had so many new pieces and um, new parts, and we were trying to put everything together. And I saw flashes of it last year, and I felt like we underachieved in some ways last year because we weren't as consistent as, as we needed to be to, to, to be an elite team. We were a good team, just weren't elite. And um, so going into the summer, uh, I felt like we had a chance to be good. Um, and I knew our backcourt with, with, with the backcourt we had returning was going to be, was going to give us a chance. Um, and then it depended on how some guys, you know, how much they improved. And once we got into, into the, to the fall, uh, you know, you could kind of see guys had taken a step with their game. And I think the biggest thing was just how together this team has been and, and was, has been in our practices. You know, we, got a tight group and they they like I was telling you they're not all, all going to be best friends off the court that's just not the reality you're not going to have 15 best friends you're going to hang out with certain guys but I think we've got a high level of respect across the board on this team and you can see that um and that's that that, that comes out of practice they can compete against each other but they respect each other and um so I thought you know I thought we had a chance to be pretty good and, and again you know it, it, it's really, really early. I mean, it's a really small sample size and I'm happy we're undefeated and it's, you know, I'd rather be ranked fifth than not ranked at all. That's, of you course. know, that's, that's fine. But, you know, we've got um, uh, a brutal schedule coming up and, you know, it's a long, long season. So, you know, I'm happy with where we're at and I don't know that we deserve to be ranked fifth by, you know, I, w- time will tell. Um, I do think we've got a good team. I do like my team a lot, and I do think we can continue to have success. Um, but I also respect how good this league is, how good the coaching is, how good the players is. It can humble you quickly. And, uh, you know, you saw uh, Fort Hayes State, um, who's in our league, they beat K-State, a Division One team, by 15 yeah. at K-State. They turned it over 20 times, and, and, and Fort Hayes State's 500 in our league right now. So, I mean, that that, that tells you – how good, you know, and I'm biased, but I think this is probably the best or one of the best D2 leagues in the country. And um, so, again, I, I, I'm, I'm excited where we're at and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, but we got a, we got a long, long. Yeah. Have there. you addressed, have you addressed the rankings with your team? Uh, have you, is that something you've talked about? I mean, that's a, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a drastic rise in a very unique circumstance, a very unique season. 
have you addressed that with your team? Do the expectations change? What what are your what's the feedback you're getting from your players when you talk about that? Yeah, I have. You know, I told them, you know, especially for the break, I said, listen, there's 311 Division two teams. I'm not 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 everybody's playing this year, but there's 311 on a normal year. And I said, so to be to be even mentioned in the top 25 is puts you in elite company. And um, and so I, I told them, you know, before the break, I said they should be proud of that. And, that you know, that, that, that we're being mentioned up there that that tells you that, you know, you have accomplished something. Um, and it's okay to feel good about, you know, winning games and, and, and putting yourself in that position. And then, and then, you know, in the same breath, I tell them, but at the end of the day, you guys know we haven't done anything and, and, you know, it's a long season and, and being ranked now really doesn't mean squat, you know, you want to be ranked in, 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 in February or, or, or March, that's, that's when it really starts meaning something. So they understand I got a pretty veteran team. Um, but I'm not one of those coaches that. I do want in some, I want them to enjoy the journey. Uh, and, and I want them to be proud of, you know, when you do work hard and you will do, do something together and you do things the right way. I want them to be proud of that. And being ranked is, is part of that, you know, and then you take it with a grain of salt, uh, what it is and what the reality of that is. And knowing that, you know, then you got to come back it up day after day, week after week, especially in this league. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, your veteran team, your returners and, as I'm doing my research, I mean, I've obviously watched you guys a number of times, but as I'm putting the interview together, you have eight players on your program, sophomore and above, playing more than 15 minutes per game. Speak to how important that has been, you know, during a pandemic when there's been unanswered questions on your end, like having, having that experience and having guys that can contribute like that game in and game out. How has that helped you kind of navigate the first half of the season? Yeah. I mean, you know, experience is, is valuable um, in any sport and any level, but uh, especially in our league, it just seems like uh, most of the time, the better teams have has some guys that have been through um, some wars together and uh, been some, through some battles together, been through some adversity together. And I think that's allowed us to grow closer. And last year, you know, again, been a lot of new guys and a lot of new faces, a lot of new pieces. And I think we, we went through a lot together. And, and I think those guys uh, grew from that and came together. So it's been good. I mean, it, you know, they, they, um, they again, especially with this year with the pandemic and all the unknowns, um, a lot easy to have a lot of distracted days. You know, it mm-hmm. really is. It'd be easy to have a lot of wasted days because of the distractions and everything going on. And um, these guys just have, haven't wasted many days at all. And I think that's part of the reason we've, uh, had some early success yeah here. do you feel do you feel like there's added pressure in in your recruiting uh in terms of you know blending your recruiting because you have a really balanced roster right now you've got a couple of transfers a lot of mostly high school guys do you feel mm-hmm. like that i mean it's an inexact science as we know but do you feel added pressure competing in your league in the miaa like when you recruit like almost you have to get it right and putting the pieces together, not just getting great talent. You got, you got to have a guy that's going to be there for four years, or you have to have a guy uh, that's going to contribute in this way for two years. You know, do you feel added pressure or does it, you know, is, is recruiting um, a little bit more in depth as you're putting your team together in the MIAA? Yeah, I think, um, 
you know, everybody's philosophy is different. Chris, you know, here at Washburn, our, our, our philosophy has been, let's try to recruit the best, the best high school talent that we can mm-hmm. recruit. And a lot of that comes, which we recruit this area hard, Kansas City's uh, a place where we recruit hard, Wichita, you know, this part of Kansas, uh, we recruit really, really hard. We, we, we want to try to get the best players that we can out of this area and the best high school players. Um, and then we want to develop them. And um, we feel like for sustained success in this league, that's, that's the best blueprint for our program. Again, everybody's different, but for our program, you know, we want to take the Tyler Diamonds of the world. Who's my, who's my senior point guard. Now who we got as a freshman, who, who played some as a freshman, but, but wasn't, you know, wasn't ready to, to, to play 35 minutes a game as a freshman, but got better, has gotten better every year. Now, now as a senior is one of the best players. He's, he's ready and, now. Um, he's, he is ready. He is ready yeah, now. Yeah. No doubt and, about that. Yeah. He's playing great. There's no question. And, and so, you know, we, we, we do try to now, now again, we've taken transfer two when we need to kind of fill in a spot and you don't always get it right in recruiting. Uh, you know, you look across the country, you never, that very rarely, you know, if you take three or four kids in a class, very rarely do you hit a hundred percent on all of them. Um, but you try to evaluate them for what they are. You try to do your homework. Uh, we, we, we try to, you know, do a lot of investigating into what type of kid are we getting? What's he bringing to the table? What type of person is he? Not just the skill set on the court that we can see when we go watch him or on film. And um, again, not that we, we have all the answers, but we've been fortunate to, to, to recruit some really good people in this program that, that have gotten better and bought in. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about Guyman right now. And, and, and your league is so good. We've talked about this. Uh, but I think, in my opinion, you have the best backcourt or one of the best backcourts in the country. And, and I think their chemistry has allowed you to get off to such a great start. You know, they, how they control the ball and control your pace. I'm talking about Tyler Guyman, 15 points per game, six rebounds per game for your point guard. And he's shooting 36% from three. He's averaging six and a half assists per game. He's got, you know, more than 40 through six games. Guyman, Jalen Lewis, um, 14 points per game, shooting 56% from three. And Drew Mayshoff, 13 points per game, six rebounds per game. Like they have a chemistry. Those three play with a certain chemistry and an ability to make reads, to react, to create for themselves, to create for others. Like, Guyman always makes the right play, I feel like, when I watch you. He always seems to make the right play or find, uh, you know, Lewis Mayshoff, guys in good spots. Um, he doesn't take any plays off. Like, he, he competes his ass off. Like, he, he is a competitor. Lewis is such a nice compliment to that because he just scores it. Like, he's a natural scorer with range. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Drew Mayshoff is just kind of a Swiss army knife. He finds a way to score. He, he takes really good shots. I think he takes really good open threes. He drives it hard both ways. He creates opportunities, you know, for himself just by getting the ball in good spots. Like those three play together so well. Do you see that? Or, you know, is it something, is there something else there? No, nah, man, you got it. You got you, you. You've done your homework. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, for the most part with those guys. I think it starts with, um, you know, they're all all three of them are talented in their in their own right, and you know, talented a little bit different ways. But uh, 
and 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 then they're competitive. Um, and I know you you talked about Tyler Guyman just competing his ass off, and you you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, he's just a competitive, tough, um, uh, hates to lose type of player, and you love coaching him because he doesn't take possessions off, he doesn't take days off, he practices that way. And when your best player is your hardest worker, you know you've heard coach say this before. But when your best player is your hardest worker, you got a great chance to be, to be good. And between him and Jalen Lewis, you know they've both been here together, and both are competitive. Both um, uh, hate to lose, and you know I think that you said it right. Jalen really feeds off of Tyler because Guyman does a great job. Uh, he can score it on his own, but he he finds guys. He's going to get guys shots. And that benefits Jalen, and Jalen knows that, and um, and 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 he gets himself to spots where you know Godwin can find him to, to, to score it, and then Drew's been great. You know, Drew um, a little bit up and down last year, but but has been more consistent this year, and Drew can do a little bit of everything. And Drew's you know good at finding guys and, and create shots for guys, but he can score on his own. He's a little bit bigger than those two other guys and Jalen and, and Tyler, so he can get in the paint, and finish a little bit better. And uh, between the three of them, just how the parts all fit together, um, it's it's been it's been good. And again, we got a we got a long season, and and those guys know they got to keep proving it. But man, they've been fun to coach so far. Yeah, and and fun to watch. You know, like as a as a basketball guy, they they are a fun group of guards to watch. There was a play early in your season, Guyman drove baseline. And, and the camera angle was just good enough to see it. You know, like he drives at baseline, leaves the ground just inside the paint, turns, and you can watch. You watch you watch Lewis just slide down from the slot right to the corner. And it was like Guyman knew he was going to be there. You know, it was like it was he, this kid's yeah. off the ground in the paint. He's got to turn around on the baseline side, a whip a pass out. Like it was it – was, and that play – symbolized i really started to watch those three uh after that but that play really symbolized how well they play together and um you know with 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 mayshoff like he just puts himself in good spots he re- he really does at least he seems to be uh when i'm watching and he be- he's the beneficiary you know of those two playing so well like he he's mayshoff's probably going to get his 13 or 14 no matter what because there's so much emphasis put on guarding Lewis and, and Guyman. Yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, Jalen obviously shot at a high level and, and Guyman hasn't, he, he shot it well, but he hasn't even shot it as well as I think he's going to. And so I think that that, that benefits the rest of our team and, and Drew specifically because, um, you know, we have, we have, I think we're making 11 threes a game and, and, and shooting it over 40% from three. And so, you know, we've been, and some of that's just we're, we're taking the right shots, but got guys that can make shots, which again, opens up that paint um, for guys like Drew. And then, you know, Johnny Clossing, our big kid inside, Jason Williams, our big guys inside benefit from that too, because now it's, it's hard, hard to help off of, of, of some of our shooters. Um, and Again, I just think it starts with uh, these guys are competitive and, and going through, you know, Tyler and Jalen have been playing together for a couple of years now. Drew, Drew's been here uh, from last year to this year, but um, these guys have been in some games together now and, and just kind of have that feel of where the other guy's going to be. You watch you know, some of these NBA teams or, you know, some of these college teams with experienced backcourts. Um, you do, you see that space, the spacing is good because, uh, guys understand other guys' games and they understand and have a feel for, what, what, what play they're getting ready to make and when they make that play where they need to get to, to either, you know, get their own shot, help them out with the assist or, or, or,
floor, create space so that that guy can go score it. Yeah, and, and you talk about their understanding of the game. Do you, do you think they understand how good they could be? You know, that's something, uh, Chris, that, I, that, that, that's, a, that's a great question because I think that's something that um, at the Division II level, here's, here's a big difference, <clears throat> being, being at the Division I, the Division II level. <clears throat> the guys at the Division I level, part of what makes those guys, the reason they're at that level sometimes, sometimes it's the, obviously the, the athletic ability and size, which, you know, some of those guys are bigger and stronger and, and athletic than this level. But so much of it, you know, for example, the coach kid Mario Chalmers at Kansas. Mario's the one that made the shot in the you know, I can't wait. That was my that was my surprise question. I was gonna we're gonna ask you about Mario Chalmers. I got I got it all oh, ready. Okay. I can't wait. We're gonna well, get there. Well, I like it. Well, I'm 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 leading up to that. I'm helping you out. <laughs> so, you know, a guy like Mario was just supremely confident um, from the day he stepped on campus at K, at KU. And Mario could miss five, six, seven shots in a row in practice or even in a game and didn't care. Didn't matter. He thought he was making the next one. And that, that, that confidence in their ability is something that I think D one guys, more of them have now at the division two level, you know, guys, if you miss a couple shots and, and I've seen it, then they kind of go into a shell quicker uh, at times at this level. And so I try to instill in my guys, you know, you got to, I think a lot of that's about your preparation and, and, and how, how hard you prepare. That gives you most of your confidence. But at the same time, um, you know, I want them to know we believe in them as a coaching staff. Uh, I think that, again, I do think I have one of the better backcourts in the country. I want them to act that way with their preparation and then think that way when we play games. Yeah, and and I, I think I think the confidence is so important, especially at that level. The confidence to, you know, hey, like we are really good. We're 6-0. and we're, we're a top team in the country. And we, we know we can get better, right? By the end of the year, we can still be better. That's a nice combination to have when your players start thinking that way. I think, in my opinion, you're starting Johnny Claus and you're starting uh, Will McGee and, and you bring uh, Jace Williams off the bench. I think the most important guy in that rotation of forwards is Will McGee. And he only averages five points per game, three rebounds per game. I say only, but like that's a dude that contributes to winning. He's always in the right spot defensively. He always challenges at the rim. Like him and Johnny Clausen are both really glue guys defensively for you. And Johnny can score it, obviously, with, with guys uh, matched up and, and, and uh, paying attention to the perimeter. Johnny Clausen can score it really well around the block. But Will McKee is like a glue guy to me that's probably – keeping this whole thing together. I, you know, I would agree. Um, it, it, you know, Will, <clears throat> Will blew out his, um, his knee, um, not last April, but the April before that. Um, so 2019, April, 2019. So he missed all of last year, um, you know, and, and had a rehab and, and it was about, he, he, he tore it up bad. And so, Will, I, matter of fact, I just had the individual meetings with all of our guys this week, and, and I told Will, you know, he's just coming back, so he's six games back, and, and um, you can see just daily he's starting to gain a little more confidence, mm-hmm. and you know he's been solid for us. I don't think Will's played uh, as good as he's going to play, and uh, he's got to continue to be a guy that you know defends and rebounds for us and makes open shots. Uh, but I, I, part of that's just he hadn't he hadn't played, and he's been hurt. Um, Johnny Clossing has been really good again. Johnny's been in foul trouble a little bit and, and honestly hasn't probably produced quite as well as I think he's, he's capable of. Jace Williams has been really good for us. Um, 
you know, uh, and, and, and been energetic. And he's athletic and blocks shots and finishes around the rim. And he knows his role. Um, and so those guys, you know, our, front, our, 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 our big guys inside have been have been solid. But I think they would all agree that they, they can take another step. If they take another step and match the guards, your backcourt, I think you guys are going to be, you know, really, really difficult to play against in, in the future, hopefully talking, you know, February, March. And, and you're, you're, you guys are allowing 39% from the field. That's the best field goal percentage defense in the MIAA. Um, you know, so you got guards playing really well. Your forwards can play better. You're only giving up 39%. You're averaging 17 assists per game. What are you looking at as the biggest improvements you can make heading into the back half of your season now? Yeah, you know, I, I do. I'm pleased, you know, we're, we're leading the league in assists for a game and, and, and field goal percentage defense has been good. Guarding the three-point line has been good. Um, we're still middle of the pack in rebound margin, and that's got to improve. I think we're plus five or six on the year uh, in rebound margin, plus five, I believe. And, and, and that's got to get better. Um, you got to, you've got to clean up the, you know, the misses that you force, you got to go get them. You can't let teams have, um, extra possessions in this league. So rebounding the basketballs, you know, we, we, we can, we can take a step in, in that category. Um, you know, offensively, I think, again, just valuing the ball, we got to take care of the ball and, you know, Tyler Guyman has done a good job of creating for others. I still think we've got some other guys, Tyler Nelson, who's been good off the bench for us, but I think he can create more for others. And Drew Mashoff, Drew, Drew's played well, and um, it's hard to nitpick, but, you know, I think Drew can be a guy that his assist to turnover ratio can, can improve. Again, if we, if, we, if we take care of the ball a little bit better, then, then obviously that helps your efficiency. Um, and then just in general, I think our big guys can give us more. Uh, backcourt's been good. Uh, and, and part of it for our big guys, just some of us in foul trouble, but, you know, being a little more consistent and giving us uh, easy baskets around the rim, especially against some of these teams we're getting ready to play here the next few weeks will be important. Yeah. And you talk about the next few weeks We're we're actually coming up on, you know, about 45 minutes, coach. I want to respect your time. So only have a couple of questions left first, uh, as you mentioned, the, the next couple of weeks, obviously a game that, that you're aware of, and I'm sure your kids were aware of. You know, Thursday, you tip off against Northwest Missouri State, number one in the country. Do your, you know, is, I'm sure there's an understanding from your point, and, and you would downplay it as, as all coaches would, but like that's probably going to be the most significant game to date in Division II basketball this year. Um, how do you keep your kids focused in the meantime? You still have a game between this interview and, uh, and, and that Thursday night tip off. You know, how do you keep your kids focused, keep yourself focused? What's the approach for the next week or so? Yeah, I mean, I think our guys, um, we, we, you know, we won't obviously even approach it till we get to that game week. And I, and I, I guys respect everybody in this league enough to know that um, you go anywhere, you, you got a chance to get beat. So, um, you know, I, our staff and, and our players, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about um, – about that obviously once we get to that week we got we got two big ones that week mm -hmm. uh northwest missouri is obviously incredible i got so much respect for their program and you know i, I you, you mentioned my win-loss record i feel like half of my losses have been against northwest missouri <laughs> and they, they've they've been incredible and i got a lot of like i said ben ben mccollum is one of the best coaches in college basketball at any level um and then you know missouri western's having a good year too and they've got a nice team who, who will play uh right after Northwest Missouri. So, you know, that, that week will be uh, brutal for us, but um, you know, we'll focus on that when we get to it uh, just like any team would. And, and uh, we know we got a lot of respect for Northeast Oklahoma. They played some tight games and, 
And, you know, they beat Missouri Southern, which is a great win and new coach, a lot of new players, not a lot of new parts. And they're, you know, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm sure this, this week's been beneficial for them to get better in practice. And uh, they've been right there in, in every game. They just haven't quite gone over the hump in a couple of them. So um, we, that, that, that's going to be a battle. Yeah, I, I wish you the best of luck, you know, in the, in, in the upcoming weeks. Uh, obviously, the MIAA is, is absolutely loaded with talent and really, really good coaching. Um, last question, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. You gave me a nice little, uh, nice little preview of Mario Chalmers. What was like, – describe the feeling when you, you watch, you know, Kansas, you, you watch your team running chop – Right, the chop action. They get Mario off the pin down. Like, what was the thought that went through your mind when the ball got in the air? Well, let me let me backtrack, Chris. To again, I, I grew up a KU fan, mm. so got to understand. You know, I went through. Um, you know, I, I was eight years old in 1988 when Danny Manning and, and we won it and, and, and won it. So you win a championship. I'm eight years old. And, you know, an eight-year-old, I think we're going to do this about every other year. And, <laughs> and, and then, you know, Coach Williams comes, and they have all of those incredible teams. I mean, throughout the 90s, they have team after team after team. And, and a couple of years in the 90s, they clearly had the best team in college basketball, but just couldn't get over the hump in the tournament, uh, you know, and had some heartbreaking situations from that standpoint. So then you go – you fast-forward to 2002. I'm a senior playing at Kansas. We're in the Final Four. We were – 31 and three going into that. It felt like we had the best team in the country. We're playing Maryland. We play one of our worst games of the year. Maryland had a lot to do with that. They had a great team and, and we get beat in the final four. They Maryland ends up winning it that year. So we don't get it done when I'm playing there. Uh, then I'm with coach self and, 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 and on his staff. And we had some years, we had some really good teams and just couldn't quite get over the hump in the tournament, you know, with coach. So during that Memphis game, you know, I felt like we had a team good enough to win it. And we're down eight in that game with like two minutes left, a little over two minutes left. And, you know, I'm sulking because <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, here, here's Memphis and, you know, Calipari is there, but Memphis hadn't really been a basketball powerhouse. And in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm salty because I'm thinking, man, Memphis is going to win a national championship. And, you know, KU has been good all these years and we haven't won one since 88. Like this isn't fair. And, Man, I was going through a range of emotions in my mind, you know, without without expressing it through my body language because I was on the end of the bench and, you know, there's still a game to be played. But I remember distinctly fighting those emotions for about the last, you know, from about the four-minute mark to about the two-minute mark when it didn't look great for us. You know, down eight, just couldn't get anything going. All of a sudden, you know, we just get a little momentum. We start making some plays. Memphis starts missing some free throws. And still, I'd been through this enough as a Kansas fan that I, you know, and, 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 and I hate to say this because I'm a coach and you're not supposed to think like this as a coach, but I still think, man, there's no way we're going to get <laughs> And so when Derrick Rose missed the, the free throw, we come down, uh, you know, it's all slow motion. I'm on the bench. And if you watch a replay, if you ever see a replay of that shot, you'll see a guy in a suit, uh, like second player, second person down from the end of the, end of the bench or third person down from the bench. When that shot went in, I literally jumped about, 50 inches in, in the air. I, my, my vertical would have been like Vince Carter-esque at, at that <laughs> point. So I was like ecstatic that the shot went in um, like for the team in that moment, but also just being a KU fan all those years. Like I felt in my mind, I felt like we deserved that shot to go in. I, I don't really know if that's the case, but I felt like we deserved that shot to go in. 
And then, you know, once it went in, I felt like there was no chance we were going to lose that game because we had all the momentum. And uh, from there, our guys went out and played a hell of a game in overtime, and, and we were able to get it done, which is an incredible memory. But, um, yeah, man, Mario made a big shot, and um, it was – it was I was fortunate to be on the bench for that and obviously something I'll never, never forget. Yeah, well, what, so what was Coach – I got to ask from my own, you know, my own kind of knowledge, what was Coach Self like? Those last five minutes, I mean, you guys struggled to score. I mean, yeah. really, Kansas struggled to score. That, Coach, that's the first Final Four game, national championship game, I really remember sitting and watching and feeling like I had just gotten into coaching at that point. Um, you, you know, we were running, truth be told, a lot of Kansas stuff at Lincoln Memorial when we first got there. We were running a, a bunch of Kansas stuff, so we watched Bill Coach Self all the time. And, like, I'm sitting there watching, like, the struggle to score was real. What was yeah. his message? What was his message in the huddle, you know, to the staff, to the bench, like that last five minutes? What, what was his message like? You know, we couldn't score. Memphis had a great, you know, they were great defensively and long, and yeah. we couldn't make a shot. And, uh, you know, we just couldn't get a shot to go in. And they were, they were condensing the pain, and we couldn't get anything at the rim with our bigs. And, um, and, uh, you know, specifically, Chris, I'd love to sit here and tell you specifics about it. It's been a while. But, you know, I, I do remember him just telling the guys to stay the course, uh, stay together, keep your body language the right way, stay mentally engaged. Like, we, we, we can still do this. And, uh, you know, Coach has said this, but that, that team, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, you could see a little bit of uh, fatigue and a little bit of um, – you know, the self-pity that comes in just a tiny bit. It crept in just a tiny, tiny bit. But overall, guys stuck together and, by, and stayed confident. And then again, once we made uh, you know, Strong Collins gets the steal, throws to Mario, or, and then gets it to Russell Robinson, he kicked it out to Strong for a three. Once that three went in, it kind of felt like the, bat, the, the lid off the basket came off. And, and then, we, you know, we got the momentum at the right time. And then, you know, the tournament's crazy. You know, look, yeah. at, look, at, Virginia, look at Virginia a couple of years ago. They win the national championship. They get a missed travel call uh, that against um, uh, might have been Auburn that that should be yeah. called, you know, and then and they have a miracle finish against Purdue, and then they a miracle, you know, and to, to win a national. Is you look at the the luck that you sometimes have to have to win, and, and I love the tournament. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, we put we put way too much stock in the NCAA tournament, but it is what it is. You have to have some luck, and we we were fortunate. You know, Memphis missed some free throws, and and we needed that. But then our guys went and made plays. So the coach was great. He he kept them confident, put them in the right spots, and and then in overtime, you know, got them situated and got us refocused. And got the guys refocused, ready to play. You know, not kind of got came down, got them down off that high of Mario making the shot, and got them you know mentally locked back in, and you know does what he does. That's why he's one of the best. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, Coach Ballard, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a ton of fun and I can't wait uh, for everyone else to hear about all the positive things you have going on out in Washburn. I want to thank you for your time and I want to acknowledge you, you know, for what you've done at Washburn, your career, uh, you know, grinding away to, to get where you're at. I think one misconception about a lot of coaches is, you know, you just show up one day and you put the suit and tie and you coach all the games. So you've, you've put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of sweat equity. So I want to acknowledge you for the positive impact you've had on all your players, what you've done to get to this point, And thank you for your time today. Well, I appreciate you, Chris. I appreciate you saying that a lot of people along the way helped me. And um, so, but I, I do appreciate you saying that. And uh, again, man, we, we, we love the, the, the attention you're bringing to, to, 
Division two basketball, small college basketball, and, um, you know, appreciate what you're doing, man. I know it's a lot of work to put these together. So thanks for having me on and, and uh, look forward to listening to, uh, you know, future uh, podcasts with guys that you have on here um, in, in the future too. Many thanks to Coach Ballard once again. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and download the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. You can get episodes every week with content, news, analysis, and insight across all of NCAA Division II men's basketball. And for more, you can follow the Bonafide Basketball Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.